this can be the voice of an industry. And in order to be the voice of an industry, you can't be controlled by any part of the industry. You have to, you know, treat everybody not equally but fairly. For me, as a producer of content, I consider myself a storyteller. I'm not a TV person, I'm not a film person, I'm a storyteller. And quite honestly, you know, if you're not going to go see my movie in the movie theater, you're going to watch on Netflix. I'm happy with that. And that is what is coming up on Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. So stay tuned. Now, here are two powerful words to change your life. What if? What if you do have what it takes? What if you can design your life? What if your crazy dreams do come true? You are here because you have a dream. You have a fire in your belly. You want to change the world and you want to lead the charge in the post socially distant era. The big question is this. How can ambitious people like us build our dream lives? This podcast gives you the answers. We have created the perfect community of the world's best minds who want to get things done. Survive and thrive in this uncertain world. Join us by navigating to bootstrapping.group. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dream Show. I'm your host Manoj Agarwal and today we have a very special guest Larry Neymar. So Larry is a founder of E Entertainment TV and has been in the media sector for over 5 decades. E Entertainment has presence in over 140 countries and is the number one influencer of pop culture in the world. In the United States alone, E Entertainment is available to 92.4 million households. After E Larry created and launched several companies in the United States and overseas including Steeple Chase Media, Comspan Communications and Comspan Russia. In 1989 Larry was awarded the President's Award from the National Cable Television Association. He is currently the president of Mitan Global Entertainment. Mitan has extensive experience, resources and connections in Hollywood, China and global media markets. Mitan is a very modern take on how media companies must structure in today's rapidly changing business landscape larry has also been associated with with aljian media as a chairman he has played a significant part in launching several other tv networks around the world and interactive television serving as a consultant to microsoft today larry is recognized as one of the world's leading experts and innovators in the field of international media and entertainment among the companies that have enlisted his expertise are as i said microsoft World Digital Media Group, EchoStar, Sirius Radio Networks, and many others. Welcome, Larry. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. Just awesome. uh, you know, getting along in these strange times. For sure, yeah. So, so you've had a tremendously successful career. Um, I'd love to learn more about how you got started, how you got into the media industry. Well, I um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Um, family was. Uh, you know uh, immigrants um, father's family from turkey mother's family from siberia and um i was the first kid to go to college uh, in the family and i thought that uh, i would get out and get a civil service job or you know teaching job you know the family was much more interested in security than they were in entrepreneurship and um but you know for whatever reason the city of new york was in hiring teachers i had a degree in economics there wasn't all that much you could do with it so i ended up getting a uh, 
what I thought would be a temporary job uh, working for what was then, uh, you know, the, the new industry, cable TV. And they gave me a job uh, as an assistant underground splicer in New York. And my job was going below the streets of Manhattan and putting the wires together. So I did that. And that, that kind of led me to start to really think about cable TV and what it's capable of and what the opportunities were. And, um, and that was, um, you know, that was it. So it seems like uh, you got an early break, but you sort of, you know, continued to explore and understand what the industry was all about and uh, looking for new opportunities. And from what I understood about the history of E! Entertainment, there is an interesting story of how you came up with the, the idea of E! Entertainment. So can you share that story with us? Sure. Um, what, what had happened was um, I had uh, rose through the ranks of, you know, in the cable company, Manhattan Cable. and. I eventually ended up to be the director of corporate development within the timing video group. And, um, and my final job there was figuring out what uh, would be, how to use those cable wires and the resources other than entertainment, um, you know, which I did. And, uh, but then all the big cities in, in the U S started to franchise cable um, when they realized that, it was more than just getting good reception, you get more channels and more services and stuff like that. So all the big cities began to issue franchises and um, they wanted cable to be put underground uh, on telephone poles. So, you know, I was very fortunate in that my time at Manhattan Cable, I, I was director of operations at one point and um, all the operating technical departments reported to me, including building construction underground. And I think I was one of the few, if not the only person in the country that knew how you build underground cable systems. So I got recruited to go out to LA and, um, you know, when you come out to Los Angeles, you're surrounded by the entertainment business and all my neighbors and friends and everybody were going to these premieres and parties and award shows and, stuff like that. And I said, gee, I, you know, that looks interesting. I want to do that. And, um, you know, when I would call the studios and ask, say, hey, could you put me on the list for whatever movie premiere? They would say, well, you know, you're, you're really not in the entertainment business. You're in the you know, utility business. And so I just said to them, I said, look, you know, you, you have all these great movie trailers. And the only time I ever see a movie trailer is when I'm in the movies. I said, it seems kind of, you know, backwards that you would want to show me the trailer when I'm in my house so that it makes me want to go to the movies. And they said, yeah, but we really don't have a place to put them. I said, great, I'll give you a place to put them, put me on a list. So we started doing, you know, I had a channel that was uh, simply called The Trailer Channel. And, you know, when we started doing surveys, um, it would be, uh, what's your favorite channel? And people go, I love ESPN, I love MTV, and I love that trailer channel. Wow. I started to think, I said, gee, you know, I'm getting the best two minutes of a $50 million movie for free, and people love it. Um, maybe there's something to explore here. So a friend of mine, Alan Maruf, a friend from New Jersey, and I uh, toyed around with the idea, and we said, you know what? This could be the basis of a new channel that was all about the entertainment industry. And um, we wrote a business plan and 
went out, you know, it took us three and a half years to raise any money because, you know, we were two guys and you know, we weren't a big media company. So um, the uh, three and a half years, you know, after we started, we raised the money and we put it on the air. And the initial name was Movie Time, not the, uh, the, we changed the name after. And, um, you yeah, know, on the air, it became an overnight success. It's amazing how uh, you know a lot of people think that uh, they don't have uh, any 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 resources, no ideas to build something. But as you just demonstrated, you know you could just take something that is of little value, and people don't know what to do with it, and you can put it together and build a very very successful business out of it. Yeah, I mean we looked at it and we said, you know, in, in essence, it's not very different than MTV was. You know, right. MTV would you know, get an industry, the music industry that would make these, you know, three minute music videos and give them to MTV for free for promotional value. So we just said, you know, the the movie business and the TV business are the same thing. They're dying for marketing and promotional. Yeah. And, you know, when they have a big smash hit, if you have Star Wars, you don't need anybody's help. You know, but what happens when you have Jaws 5? So we approach people that way and they began to understand that this could really be a voice of the in entertainment industry and they embraced it pretty quickly. And uh, we grew the first year with the fastest growing cable network in, in the world, actually. And now E is in 140 countries and it's the um, it's clearly the number one influencer of pop culture in the world. Wow, amazing. And so uh, I'm sure, you know, as you said, like uh, you were sort of coming in from the outside and you had to compete with some big names and big channels. I'm sure it has been, it must have been, um, you know, not an easy journey. So can you recall any incident where you had some challenges you had to overcome or any, any new learnings that came your way through this process? Well, yeah, I mean, it was, um, uh, you know, all the, the big guys where, you know, we had to face Time Warner and TCI and, Comcast and, you know, all of those folks. And, um, you know, nobody really wanted to see us succeed at the beginning because they didn't like, you know, just two bandits coming in and starting something that, uh, you know, literally was revolutionary. And um, so, you know, we had a hard time, but we, um, you know, we really needed to be independent of any of the big media companies in order to attract the studios. I mean, Paramount, you know, and Universal wanted to come in as, as investors and we couldn't take that money because we said, you know, if Paramount is part owner, then Universal is not going to want to put their marketing in the hands of their competitor and Disney. Yeah. And so we really had to maintain that, you know, being Switzerland, you know, being totally independent of any of the big media companies and having no agenda other than, you know, what, what does the audience really want? So, and, because we really didn't have money. I think then the going rate is, you know, to start a TV network was somewhere around a hundred million dollars and um, nobody was going to give us a hundred million dollars. So we managed to find a place on wall street, gave us two and a half million. Um, and at first we went, you know, what do we do with this? But then, you know, I started calling friends who were teaching and, a friend in Austin, Texas, sent me 31 interns from UT, Texas. And so we started the company with 11 interns, uh, well, 11 employees and 31 interns. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. 
and it's a very interesting point you brought up like you know you were still you were raising money yet you were offered money and uh, uh, you know rather than taking uh, the money right away which typically most entrepreneurs do wherever they get money they take it you looked at the long term uh, effects of taking one but like how did you how did you come up with that kind of long term uh, view on what you were trying to do well you know when we thought about it we just said you know this can be the voice of an industry mm-hmm. and in order to be the voice of an industry you can't be controlled by any part of the industry you have to you know treat everybody not equally but fairly yeah. so that any studio any movie maker knew that when they work with us we didn't have any other agenda other than what we thought was best for our viewers yeah. um, and that really proved true and then you know the the audience i think saw it very quickly that you know we weren't out there just doing infomercials for things that we were really true to what the mission was and um and because we had no money we had to do a lot of things very pirate and you know the audience caught on like the first time we ever did we became famous for doing red carpet on rivers and you know all of that uh, you know, people don't know the first time we applied to get press credentials we were turned down they said oh you're some little cable thing you know we don't need you here you know you're just going to take up space so what did we do we went around the back and we climbed over the fence and threw the equipment over <laughs> and we covered the academy awards you know the the entry the red carpet completely you know by sneaking in Wow. And, you know, you could kind of see our people hiding from security and stuff like that. And the audience just loved it. The audience went crazy for it because they really felt that they were getting a view that was very different than, you know, what the big media companies were willing to provide. Awesome. That's great. And so uh, you must have, uh, you know, ran into a lot of entrepreneurs, people trying to build their businesses. And as you demonstrated, you know, there are, there are things that you can do for the long term, meaning... You know, which are which are sort of counterintuitive not taking money from a large uh, company or you know as you just uh, demonstrate like sneaking in to, to get the job done so what is your the your take on uh, general uh, state of mind of typical entrepreneurs like are they in sync with all these long-term visions short-term decisions are they doing the right thing or what is your view on, on these things? well I mean you know several things number one you know most really don't think long term you know most see that first money on the table and they tend to jump too quickly as opposed to endure a little more pain and eventually get to the right deal. <clears throat> but, you know, the other thing I see a lot and I counsel a lot of people is, um, you know, the biggest mistake that a lot of people do is they think their idea is so great and they stay too long. I mean, for every good one I have, I have 20 bad ones. But, you know, the difference between me and someone else is I can look at it and go, you know what? What I thought yesterday was not very smart. Let's get rid of that. So people spend too much time working on things that really is more about their ego than it is about the logic of the idea. Mm-hmm. And they they don't spend enough time on the ideas that actually could work. So, you know, sticking too long. And the other thing is, you know, particularly here in the U.S. is, you know, and I hate to say this, but U.S. people don't travel in ter- terribly well. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, American entrepreneurs think that America is it. You know, there is no other market and just do it for America. 
And, you know, when I got into the media business and I would do planning and modeling of, you know, budgets for new ideas, you know, the, it would be 95% U.S. and 5% other. You know, we thought of the rest of the world was just other. Um, you know, now if I model something out, you know, whether it be a movie or a TV idea or whatever, it's 30% U.S. and, you know, the other 70% is is India and China and Russia and Germany and stuff like that. So the world really has changed incredibly dramatically, particularly in the last 20 years. And, you know, a lot of people just think very U.S. centric and don't realize that you really have to think of global model. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is one of the points that I always talk about with entrepreneurs that uh, you really need to step out and, and learn that there is a whole different world out there. And, and not only you get additional markets, you get new ideas from those entrepreneurs because they, they, they do things differently over there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, now I, I have Meitan company in China. And when I first started in China, which is gee, almost 11 years ago, and our first show was called Hello Hollywood. It was Hollywood News. But I did everything in Mandarin. I realized early on that I have to do things in Chinese language for the Chinese audience and stuff. So we we created shows that were particularly for that. I had Chinese hosts and staff and teams and um but the, um, uh, you know, and it did incredibly, incredibly well. And, you know, it just showed that you can produce things for, you know, different places and stuff in different languages. It doesn't have to be all in English for the U.S. But when I would go to, um, you know, the, the studios back then and say, listen, you know, you guys know me, for me, blah, blah, blah. I need to get on the red carpet for this movie premiere. Mm -hmm. And we go, well, Larry, you know, it's China. We don't really care about China. You know, what are you bothering us with this for? And, um, you know, and now it's, you know, they're calling us every day going, oh, my God, do you think you could cover our movie premiere? You know, because China's now and very quickly has become the number two, soon to be number one movie market in the world. Um, you know, now, you know, people are getting 20, 30, 40% of their revenue out of China. So you can't ignore it. And, uh, you know, but still, I find most people here are still going, okay, here's the way we do it in Hollywood. We'll give it to you. We'll subtitle it. It's just, you can't expect other cultures to, you know, bow down to American culture, you know, any longer. I mean, those days, I think, are clearly over. Let's take a quick break for an important message from the Bootstrapping Your Dreams community. Get the support and insights you need for your business and life. Join our community, which is fueled by the same people who advise the world's top leaders and champions. Stay ahead of the curve. Join us now by navigating to bootstrapping.group. Um, and so one of the things that I noticed, you know, obviously you've had a, a pretty long career and uh, you must have witnessed a lot of ups and downs in the economy, in, in the business. And so um, at every stage you you adapted, just like, you know, you mentioned you opened a, uh, you, a launch a channel in, in China. So how do, how do you um, become so resilient? How do you adapt so fast to changing environments? Well, first of all, I, you know, I study a lot. I read a lot and stuff like that. And I, and I, for whatever reason, 
for, you know, really have had a worldview and, you know, thinking this is the world of entertainment, not the Hollywood uh, center of entertainment. And so I pay attention, but, you know, also for someone who chooses to be an independent, um, you know, I've had offers to come and work at studios and networks and, you know, do that. And that's not what I'm doing. Um, so, you know, I look at, you know, where could I be on an, a level playing field with the big media companies? And, you know, typically there are countries like, you know, I went to Russia and now I'm in China where, you know, just because you say, hey, I'm from Time Warner, they don't necessarily bow down. As a matter of fact, in a lot of cases, it works against you. They would rather deal with an independent such as me um, because I have a China agenda. You know, my country, company in China has a China agenda. Uh, we don't think of what we do around the world and how to make it fit into Chinese market. We create for the Chinese market. So, um, you know, I look for those kind of opportunities. And China's, you know, for me, it was looking and saying it's just a matter of time before they become a world economic power. We become a world economic power. That's amazing. And so, uh, just out of curiosity, like, uh, how many books do you read a week? Uh, well, I, I read in a month uh, probably about fifty magazines. Uh -huh. Um, and I read two to three, sometimes four books a month. I read a lot. Wow, that's amazing. I think that's one of the uh, key uh, qualities of uh, highly effective people, if I remember in the uh, seven habits of highly effective people. Um, yeah. yeah, well, you know, reading a lot helps and, you know, spending time places. I mean, when I started doing stuff in Russia, I lived in Russia half time. When I started doing stuff in China, I lived in China two thirds of the time. And, you know, again, another mistake that particularly American entrepreneurs make, but all Western entrepreneurs, is they tend to go into these expat communities and spend all their time talking to people they could talk to when they were back home. Yeah. Um, but when I go in, uh, like in China, my apartment is in an entirely Chinese area. And, you know, so I, I have to live that life. You know, I force myself into living that life as opposed to going to, you know, where the rest of the expats are. I can see those people in Beverly Hills. I don't need to see them in Beijing. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Now, uh, you you uh, pointed out that you like to uh, work independently, also second guess your own opinions. And so, you know, accomplishing all these lofty goals, you need a very um, able and efficient team around it. And they, if you are an independent thinker, I think, you'll prefer independent thinkers around you as well. So how do you find these type of people? How do you motivate them? How do you keep them around and, and get the results that you need from them? Well, um, I, I I always, you know, for every particular area, I, I always bring in somebody who's smarter than me in that area. But it's got to be an area I know well, you know, I could know it well enough to be able to control it, manage it. But, you know, I want my marketing guy to be smarter than I am. I want my tech guys to be smarter than I am. I mean, Otherwise, I might as well just do it all myself, and that doesn't work. Um, I use social media a real lot. Um, I actually maintain my own Facebook and stuff, and in China, I have you know, my own social media there, and I have a lot of people. So it's a way of accessing, you know, management talent. It's a way of doing market research as to, you know, what the audience is looking for. Um, and and I do probably an hour a day just so I keep my brain fresh and you know keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on. 
Awesome. And so, do you think uh, you brought up another point earlier, which is you know most most entrepreneurs they do stuff just to satisfy their ego. So this paradigm of hiring smart people, smarter than you, uh, do you think that people get intimidated just because it may hurt their ego? Like, uh, have you noticed any any trend like that? Yeah, I mean, and I noticed it. I hate to say it, you know, when I was at Microsoft, I was the primary consultant at Microsoft for interactive TV strategy, and. You know, when they they knew that they needed to branch out to media and entertainment, but I would watch their hiring practices. Instead of hiring the best people from Hollywood that they could, they would hire the people from Hollywood who best kind of would like them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going, well, what do you need more people that are like you? You need people who think differently than you. But it, it really showed me, and I see that all throughout the tech world, mm-hmm. you know, it's two different worlds, you know, tech people, Silicon Valley and Hollywood. I mean, we think differently, but there's no reason that we can't work together, um, you know, make great things happen. But, you know, I think Hollywood is intimidated by the, the Silicon Valley folks and the Silicon Valley folks or whatever. So they look for people they're comfortable with as opposed to the best people. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I, I think, unfortunately, that's true for every field. Uh, I have worked in a number of other fields, and I noticed the same trends there as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, I mean, uh, you know, right now we are going through uh, like a, a global experience of, of this uh, whole pandemic situation. And uh, entertainment is one of the industries that is getting affected quite a bit. So what are your views on, on the, on the uh, long-term effects on entertainment? Um, on, from this pandemic? Well, the, you know, the, uh, uh, no matter what happens, the world is still going to need entertainment. The world wants entertainment, particularly in hard times, you know, people want to just lose themselves and take their mind off of the problems and stuff. For me, as a producer of content, I consider myself a storyteller. I'm not a TV person. I'm not a film person. I'm a storyteller. And quite honestly, you know, if you're not going to go see my movie in the movie theater, you're going to watch on Netflix. I'm fine with that. So, you know, there are a lot of people that still hold on and go, oh, I'm a filmmaker. You know, my movie must be in the theater. And, you know, uh, that's all BS. Uh, uh, now, I think if, if you look at the positives that have come out of this situation, and I do think that, you know, out of chaos comes opportunity. Um you know, people have begun to realize that, you know, things like Netflix and Amazon and Disney and, you know, NBC's news service, um, these are all pretty cool. And there's no reason that, you know, other than Star Wars and Masters of the Universe and, you know, those really big movies, you don't have to see them in a movie theater. They're, they're great just watching them at home on stuff. And I think, you know, Netflix has raised the bar on quality. I mean, you look at the quality of the stuff that's on digital and all of it, not just is Netflix good, but it's made HBO better. It's made Amazon better um, because they have to keep up. Um, and, you know, for me, it's great. I mean, not not just as a creator, but as a, you know, a viewer, I'm a consumer of that. I, I watch some of the stuff on TV now and it's, you know, it's, it's Godfather level. I mean, the writing is amazing. TV, you know, people say TV's dead. It's not dead. It's actually never been better. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, and one thing here you pointed out, storytelling. Uh, you know, obviously being from being in the entertainment industry, in the movie industry, storytelling is an integral part of your business. But I, I believe storytelling can be 
uh, instrumental in every business, uh, you know, starting from brick and mortar to Silicon Valley to everything. What are your views around that? I, excuse me, say that again, my views around which? Storytelling. How can storytelling be uh, effective in other types of businesses which are not entertainment business? Well, I, I just think, you know, you, you got, it's just being able to be objective and looking at situations and, you know, without imparting your personal views and realizing, you know, how does this fit into the world? Does it fit into the world? You know, is it long lasting? And then, you know, the other thing you got to get to is it's sustainable. Um, you know, now again, in, you know, my field, people are going, oh, you know, YouTube creators and stuff like that. Well, you know, it's great to create TikToks and all that stuff, but eventually real life takes over and, you know, you got to pay the rent and you got to eat, you got to feed the kid and do all of that stuff. And if you can't create a situation where the business, no matter what it is, can sustain over time and provide a revenue stream that's reasonable, um, Sooner or later, you're going to have to give it up. So, you know, why waste your time on something that's going to be very short-lived? Um, now, over over the years, you you know, along with the success, you may have made some mistakes as well. So, um, do, do you recall any mistakes that you may want to share so that people can avoid oh, them? Sure. You know, my biggest one, I think, in business was I was actually um, the, the managing partner in an LLC, and we owned the domain television.com, okay. uh, which is a great domain. And, <laughs> you know, at one point, people wanted to buy it from us, and they offered us like $6 million for it. And we said, no, it's worth more, and we didn't sell it. And we actually launched it. And okay. we, were, we were probably one of the first people ever to do streaming, particularly live streaming. Okay. I mean, technology then wasn't very good, but because it was so unique and people weren't used to, you know, being able to see that over the internet. Um, we, um, you know, we thought we were very smart when we started out. Uh, advertising CPMs were like $25 per thousand viewers. Uh, and it was great. And without doing any advertising, we were getting a million in, you know, unique users a month, um, you know, watching this channel. And then the internet crashed, um, the market crashed, the internet economy crashed, and uh, people started dumping the inventory, you know, out as quick as they can. And um, we, it went from $25,000 to $0.25. Cents. And um, we were kind of stuck because the more people that watched us, the better we were, the more people watched us, and the more money we lost. Um, so at 25 cents, we couldn't make any money because streaming was expensive and everything. And, you know, we basically had to beg Google to delist us. You know, please don't let anybody find us. <laughs> Every time they did, you know, we would lose more money. Um, and eventually, you know, we found that it couldn't sustain and, you know, in that economy. And we didn't want to be doing it for another, you know, X amount of years before we would come back. So we basically just shut it down. Yeah. So, so I guess the lesson is don't put good money after bad money, is it? Yeah, and again, it's that self-evaluation going, okay, you know, is this really such a good idea? It would seem like a great idea, but maybe it's not so good anymore. Yeah, yeah. it needs to be rooted in realistic uh, realistic output. Um, all right, and uh, how do you, okay, so another thing is, um, 
you know, a lot of people know that getting these eyeballs, getting the audience is, is immensely powerful. You know, once you have an audience that likes you, that trusts you, um, then you can, you know, offer uh, pretty much any solution to their problems. How were you able to build such a massive audience so quickly? Well, um, we, again, looking at the business and uh, the cable business, you realize that every cable network was built around one show. That, you know, if you looked at ESPN, it was Sports Center and, you know, things like that. And so we realized, and again, we had limited money and limited resources that, you know, we had to create a show, you know, and then follow on, you know, build off of that. But basically to drive everybody into this one show through word of mouth because we didn't have marketing money. And then, you know, in that one show, don't solely add inventory to sponsors. Use it to promote all your new stuff. And the great example um, of that was a, was a show on Lifetime called Dr. Ruth. And nobody knew what Lifetime was at that thing. But, you know, here was this 65, 70-year-old grandma talking about sex. And people would want, you know, catch it and go to work the next day and go, oh my God, did you see that Lifetime Network, that Dr. Ruth? But what they did that was brilliant. They kept all the ad inventory and they promoted the other shows on Lifetime. So they built the network around the one show. And, you know, with us, with limited money, you know, the first show we came up with, you know, and I was part of that group. Um, you know, we came up with a show called Talk Soup. Mm-hmm. And talk soup starred Greg Kinnear, and nobody knew who Greg was, and nobody had ever talked to. But it was a TV show that made fun of TV shows. <laughs> yeah. And people were like saying, Larry, you're out of your mind. You can't make fun of TV shows. And I'm like, well, why not? Most of them are pretty stupid and bad and <laughs> stuff like that. And, you know, when people began to catch it, they would go to work the next day and say, oh my God, we can't believe what they, you know what's on this channel. I mean, they're talking about how bad like Jerry Springer is and, you know, all of that. stuff. So that was our showcase. And then we followed that with another one. Alan and I met this radio guy in New York and we thought he was brilliant and and was, and that we could build word of mouth around him. Um, And, you know, when I wanted to do this TV show, everybody's, you know, it, it, everybody said, Larry, you know, radio's been dead for 25, 30 years. Why, why do you want to do a TV show? I said, you don't get it. This is a comedy. This is, this is WKRP in Cincinnati. And it was the Howard Stern show. And, you know, so not only would Howard have a very controversial show on television, when he was on the radio, he would talk about his television show. And people go, E-Channel, what the heck is that E-Channel? Let me check it out. So we used a lot of secondary media to help build that audience. And so uh, moving forward, uh, you know, another aspect of media companies is to get ad revenue and, and uh, you know, uh, add it as an additional uh, revenue stream. So with all these changes going on with Facebook, Google, and, you know, these lockdowns happening, people moving online, how do you see the, the advertising field is going to change over the Well, I think everything, you know, it gets more scientific and, you know, you get into very individualized ad. You know, I I say eventually everybody in the world is going to have their own TV network, you know, and it's basically, you know, kind of your favorite stuff and you program it yourself. And 
you don't really watch. You don't go home and say, tonight I have to watch NBC. You might watch some shows on NBC. So you're going to build this, you know, rotation, this viewing pattern that's entirely, you know, yours. And, you know, the individual components need to really do, um, you know, understand who is their audience and how could I get very tailored advertising uh, to them. I mean, there's no point in sending me an ad about diapers because I'm kind of done having kids. But, you know, when my car is three years old and you could look at a patent and say, hey, this guy buys a new car every three years, you know, hit me with some car ad. So you really need to make, you know, the, the, the process more efficient. At the end of the day, brands are in business of selling stuff. Um, and the more you can make that process efficient for them, the more likely they are to come and spend money with you. Yeah, that's true. Uh, now, one, one of the, you know, we know like uh, we are going over time. One last question here is like a lot of people are concerned about privacy and how people track behaviors. As you were saying, you know, um, if, if, if you know that you buy a car every three, uh, three years, then you should get a car uh, ad for a car. But do you, how do you see that? Uh, reconciling with concerns over privacy and things like that. Well, I mean, if you if you you kind of go back, I think if you can get very efficient in advertising, it's not intrusive. It's actually a benefit. I mean, take um, a fashion magazine. You know, you take you know any one of these big fashion magazines. You know, they have four hundred pages and three hundred are advertising. But for the woman who buys that magazine. The ads are content, so the ads are valuable. So if you provide something valuable to the consumer, they don't object to it. They actually welcome it. I mean, if I want to buy a new car and you're feeding me car ads, I, I love it. Um, you know, if I wanted to buy a gun and you're feeding me gun, and I don't want to buy a gun, but you know, you're, you're actually providing a benefit. You're making it easier for me to make logical and good choices. Yeah. So you know, as long as it stays there, you know, and I mean, I think there are extremes to it, but at the end of the day, you know, if you're providing me with efficient ways of getting information, I'll put up with a little bit of, you know, privacy invasion. Yeah, yeah that's great. All right, well, great. Thank you so much uh, for being with us and sharing your uh, knowledge and wisdom, and uh, you've had an amazing, successful career. Congratulations on everything. Now, if people want to reach out to you, connect with you, uh, how can they do that? Well, you could look up, you know, the... The either the Maton Global website or the LJN Media. LJN Media is kind of my holding company for everything I'm involved in. Um, you can go to those websites or you can email me at ljn at ljnmedia.com. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much for being with us today. All righty. Take care. That's all for now. Until next time. If you want to realize your full potential, I invite you to join our community. We support and help each other out because no one has to do it alone. Join us today by navigating to bootstrapping.group. The community is free to join. No strings attached except for one. You have to take action. So if you are an action taker, we want to talk to you. Join us by navigating to bootstrapping.group. If you want more insightful interviews with industry leaders, then check out the other videos we have picked for you right here and subscribe now to get our new content.